By virtue of a 55-16 final score, the Oklahoma Sooners joined the 900-win club, open-up conference play, um, remaining undefeated, just a thrashing of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, a a Texas Tech team that many thought would challenge Oklahoma on both sides of the ball. Really didn't see much of that challenge throughout the day. Now, we got to keep in mind that the Red Raiders did have a backup quarterback, two backup quarterbacks playing, um, but... Again, just uh, total dominance by Oklahoma, something that we're becoming accustomed to see uh, throughout this season. Sooners moved to 4-0, now 1-0 in conference play. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray, going to dissect this game and talk a little bit about the future. But going to start out with the big news, and that was uh, Kennedy Brooks taking the uh, nasty, nasty cheap shot. I don't think anybody's denying it's a cheap shot either. I mean, Lincoln Riley addressed it. In the post game, Matt Wells addressed it in the post game. Both of them expressing dis- disappointment and really disgust uh, in the way that played out. But Lincoln Riley did say that Kennedy Brooks was going to be okay. In fact, that he could have even come back in the game should they need him to, but um, chose instead to hold him out on a precaution. Rich, you were there in the in the stands. Give me your thoughts on how the crowd reacted. Uh, just really, let's talk about that moment uh, because I mean, again, clearly. I don't think you can describe this in any other way, and I don't think anybody's trying to, honestly, at this point. Uh, cheap shot, right? That dirty play? Absolutely, especially considering um, from my perspective, and, and this could be wrong because we don't have the ability sitting in the stands to rewind anything there, but it, it was an offensive lineman lunging at Kennedy Brooks, if I'm not mistaken. When you take it, defense, yeah, that's what I meant, whatever, you know. Defensive lineman there lunging at Kennedy Brooks. When you look at the overall situation that played out, it was immediate disappointment. Obviously, people raining down booze in that situation. I think in the stadium, you have you probably had the same reaction you had at home. You just didn't verbalize it as <laughs> as loudly. Well, when I saw the play develop, I I mean it looked bad. I, I don't know if you had a chance to see the replay of it or not, but. Um, it looked um, it, it looked a lot worse than it was, and even Lincoln Riley said that. You know, his exact words post game were that uh, it should have been much much worse, but um, but it wasn't. Here, I'm gonna let you uh, let you have a, a gander at it while we're while we're recording here. But uh, Oklahoma definitely dodged a bullet on that injury. Um, and again, the news is that Kennedy Brooks could have come back in the game had they needed him, but they didn't need him as Oklahoma had complete control of this game basically from start to finish. I want to start – I know we've talked about Kennedy Brooks, but I want to start on the defensive side of the ball. Sooners pitch another first-quarter shutout. Have not been scored upon in the first quarter this season, which is something that's – you know, you, you look at the, this defense in the past and you're continually looking for signs of improvement. They, they really got uh, a lot of pressure. I, I don't understand why – uh, after that first series, I, I don't understand why Tyner was even in the game. After that, if I'm Matt Wells, after that first series, I'm, I'm switching over to Jet Duffy. And clearly, clearly, uh, uh, what he brings with the opportunity, the ability to run the ball, he didn't run a lot seven uh, seven carries, sixteen total yards. But just the threat of what he can do running the football gives you so much more that you can do with that offense. And then Texas Tech finally gets the offense rolling um, a little bit once Jet Duffy takes over in that position. But this this defense just totally disruptive um, in the backfield. We talked about on our on our preview, uh, preview uh, 
podcasts about how that defensive line would really need to jump in there and make the type of plays that would be disruptive plays. And we saw Neville Gallimore uh, and company do that in a big, big way. Yeah, when I'm looking at the defense, one of the the major areas of focus or one of the major focal points when we begin to dissect this defense obviously comes by way of third down. Oklahoma, we've mentioned in the past, not having a lot of success, one, in getting opponents into third and long situations, and two, actually stopping those conversion attempts. This year, it's complete night and day difference. It does start with the defensive line, as you've said, getting pressure, essentially collapsing that pocket, forcing the quarterback to make a decision before the receivers have even turned around to look at that ball or to scramble and attempt to buy time. Hasn't always worked out. I, I get when you look at a dynamic playmaker like Derek King, he made things happen on that scramble. These other programs haven't had that same success. And maybe that was that learning moment in game one. But it's like I said, the ability for Oklahoma to actually buckle down on third down and force these teams, these opposing offenses, to punt the ball. On the day, um, Texas Tech 1 of 14 on third down tries. That's that's not a number we've heard of in the past from this defense. I, I would say even in the past five years, those aren't those aren't stat lines that we are familiar with. Yeah, and that's that was addressed again in the postgame as well. That's definitely where this game was at, third down, one of 14, one of three on, on fourth down. Now, if we're going to flip over and talk offense here in just a little while, but on that same note, Oklahoma was just three of nine on third down. So that's not a great – that's a 33.3 uh, complete, uh, conversion percentage because I'm quick with math like that. Um, but, uh, again, that, you want that to be higher if you're Lincoln Riley and company. What I'd be curious to know is how many of those came after the the end of the third quarter or even midway through the third quarter. When we're looking at this offense, just the eye test, they were humming along. It seemed as though they were unstoppable there in the first half. The second half brought about a bit of a different story, but Oklahoma, the the long passes, I know we'll get to the offensive side of the ball. We'll we'll break down Jalen Hurts, some of the things that have happened after the game. But like I said, this offense through that first half appeared unstoppable. So I am curious to know when you're saying three of nine, didn't seem like they got themselves in many third down situations to begin with. That happened later in the game. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Um, sticking with the defense, I mean, Neville Gallimore, in my opinion, is the key to this defense, working the way Alex Grinch wants it to work. We've talked about experiments with certain players to add depth to this defensive uh, this defensive unit, but man, it's Mar- Marquise Overton is a good player, but Oklahoma clearly takes a step in the in a different direction when Neville Gallimore comes off the field. Do you agree with that? Um, to an extent, I do. A large portion of that is we have we had such high expectations for a guy like Neville Gallimore. You looked at what he brought skill set wise to the position that he was playing. And you knew that he was capable of these dominant performances. When you too deep now look at Marquise Overton, I don't know that we had those same grandeur expectations placed upon him that we did of that starter, AKA Neville Gallimore. So I look at the, what the question that you're posing and I say, yeah, you do see that drop off. Is it something that Overton can improve on? Uh, of course it is, but given the time that he has 
remaining on campus. I don't know that he's going to be as big of an impact player as as Gallimore has been this season. Alex Grinch uh, with the game plan to make Texas Tech uh, one-dimensional. Again, you see what his game plan in different weeks is it's different things to take away things from a defense. But he, he seems to be, and this is good for Big 12 play, he seems to be a master at taking away the passing game and, and, and just saying, hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us on the ground. The Red Raiders 122 passing yards, um, but 192 rushing yards, just 12 of 26 altogether through the air, 4.7 yards per pass attempt, where if you look at the rushing yards, 37 carries for an average of 5.2 yards per carry. I, I, I like what he's doing defensively, making a team one-dimensional. And really, when you're when you're looking at your second and third team quarterbacks as the guys that's going to go to, has to go up against this defense, it really makes sense to just say, okay, we're going to take the pass completely away from you. You had expressed... Um, really a concern in our preview podcast about these tall, lanky, physical receivers against Oklahoma's defensive backs. Now, again, it's not like Oklahoma totally shut Texas Tech down, but they got them in enough of a hole early that they were able to take away that pass and really cause Texas Tech in the second half to settle for two field goals. instead. Really, altogether, they, they settled for three field goals throughout the game, but no touchdowns allowed in the second half. Um, Oklahoma defensively, they, they get a turnover. The stat book's going to show just one turnover, but again, they, uh, they turn the Red Raiders over on downs. And, and to me, that counts as a turnover as well. And so when we're talking about, you know, one for three on, on third downs, to me, that, that's twice that they turn the ball over on downs. I count those as turnovers. The stat book will not, but I mean, I, I got nothing but a praise again for the defense. I've got one criticism that I will throw out there, but I want to hear your general thoughts. Anything that you've got else, anything else you've got to say about this defensive performance? Yeah, more so what I'm looking at on defense was personnel. We had talked about Kenneth Mann being eligible to play this week. I'm sitting in a location in the stadium where I can see numbers, but I can't associate a name with it extremely quickly, unfortunately. Because you're old and can't read the name on the back of their jersey. No, that's not – they're not even facing – they're facing the, the other way, dude. Uh, okay. Like, they're facing okay. at me. For, for only for two quarters. Yeah, only for two quarters, and that's A-OK. But here's here's where I'm going with this is one thing that I really quickly noticed. Um, this isn't a knock against anyone who was on the field. I, I noticed at one point in time, Jaden Davis stepped on pretty early in the game, and we've been really high on him as a defensive back. Now, he came in and was essentially spelling Parnell Motley. One instance, Parnell Motley, I think this is right before Texas Tech scores their first touchdown and only touchdown of the game, but Parnell Motley runs out onto the field. Jaden Davis does not move, doesn't budge, at all. And so you see Parnell Motley just sprinting to get back off the field. So, of course, there's not a penalty when that ball is snapped. I'm saying Jaden Davis, again, has proven to be one of the better tacklers, one of the guys who recognizes uh, where these offensive players are going to sit down and begins flowing towards the ball. He has an uncanny ability to do specifically that. And when I look at Jaden Davis, I've asked that question of how can they keep him off the field? I think the coaches are now asking that same question and saying that he's just good enough 
He's so good that we're going to have to put him into that rotation. But again, looking at the cornerback specifically, the challenge that they had ahead of them, knowing that if a guy like Duffy could make the pass and deliver one accurately, that because of the size, the Texas Tech receivers had the ability to potentially bring that down and, and do some damage on the field. I didn't see that once. You know, they have... You look at, I believe it was Vasher went up in the end zone. It looked like a touchdown initially. After review, that ball hits the ground. But the ability of these cornerbacks, these defensive backs in general, to get a hand in there and just wreak a little bit of havoc to knock that ball loose, I've got to applaud them in that because this is a Texas Tech team. I mean, Matt, when's the last time we've seen any team hold Texas Tech below 300 yards passing? Well, I mean, you look at when's the last time Oklahoma held Texas Tech to just 16 points altogether, uh, below 20 points, and I think you've got to go back. I, I, saw, I actually saw it on Twitter. It's out there. That information is out there. You, but you got to go back a long way for that. Uh, Jaden Davis is a star in the making. We've been talking about that. Fundamentally, the best defensive back Oklahoma has at the corner position. Pat Fields on the on breaking up the touchdown pass was just a tremendous defensive play. It was not all good for Oklahoma's defense. We're going to talk about that. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. You're listening to uh, our recap of Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Sooner is 55 to 16. All right, then welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, Oklahoma 55 to 16 over Texas Tech. Stepping out of this game just for a second, uh, Clemson survives North Carolina by one point. And Look, I know Mac Brown is a national championship head coach. Okay, I get that. I, I have my thoughts. On Mac Brown because he was the head coach of the University of Texas Longhorns, but also a lot of people overlook or don't even remember the fact that he was Barry Switzer's offensive coordinator when the Sooners won the national championship in 1985. That said, I just terrible, terrible, terrible play call, terrible decision in my opinion. If you haven't watched the game, North Carolina scores. They are at home. They score to pull within one. All you gotta do is kick the extra point. Just kick the extra point. And the worst thing that happens most likely is overtime. But if you're worried that Clemson with two timeouts is going to be able to score in a minute and 17 seconds, the two-point conversion doesn't help you on that one way or the other. If you're afraid they're going to score in a minute and 17 seconds, they can kick a field goal, they can kick, they can score a touchdown. That doesn't help you if you're only up by one point. So basically what Matt Brown did is said that I'm going to guarantee that we don't go to overtime. And if you're the home team, like, if you're on the road, if that's in Death Valley, I get that play call. But you're the home team. Can you imagine how nuts that fan base, that stadium would have been had that game going to overtime? But Mac Brown chose to remove that as an option and roll the dice and then calls a stretch play, an option to the far side of the field that Clemson just snuffed out and destroyed with any hope. Mac Brown still doing Mac Brown things. I don't know if you got any thoughts you want to share on that or not, but that's that's my two point. Uh, the number one team in the, t in the country. I'm curious what's going to happen here because Alabama struggled earlier in the day against Ole Miss before coming back and winning uh, that game. But I'm curious to see how that goes with uh, the top two or three teams in the country uh, this coming week. Okay, all was not good, in my opinion, on Oklahoma's defensive front. Going back to the Sooners and the Texas Tech Red Raiders, um, I, I felt like Oklahoma was susceptible to the edge, to being attacked on the edges. And I think some of that may have been Alex Grinch willing to give that up to stop the pass. 
But all I'm thinking is, as I could, I could, I could see this team really kind of struggle to to seal that edge. I'll, I'm thinking about Sam Ellinger. You know, I'm thinking about the Texas Longhorns, and we know Tom Herman is good at finding a weakness and attacking it. And that will be an undermanned Texas team. That's because of all their defensive injuries. When Oklahoma and Texas play in two weeks, if I'm Tom Herman, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, look, if they would try to take away the pass and make us run, which I'm betting that's what that's what Oklahoma is leaning towards defensively. I'm hitting that edge and I'm attacking that. So that's that's the first thing I noticed about uh, about the Oklahoma's defense. If I'm going to find something negative, if you're going if you're going to cause me to nitpick them and find something negative, that's that's where I'm going with that. But the second thing is is this Trajan Bridges. Two weeks of hype, two weeks of rumors, two weeks of, of this and this and this. If that was his debut, which it was, at the safety position, if that's truly going to be his new position, he's not going to see the field in any significant moment of time because that was a terrible display of defensive football by Trajan Bridges. And I get it. He's only been in the position for two weeks. But what you and I had said leading up to this game was that that was a non-story. That, that that was just there because you had three guys at the safety positions. You wanted to have four. But his two biggest moments in the game, and by the way, he only played garbage time if you didn't get to see it. But his two biggest moments in the game came when he got a pass interference penalty and our defensive holding, whatever they rung him up for on that. And then he got a, a face mask, 15-yard face mask penalty. Trajan Bridges is a long way from being a productive player on this Oklahoma defense. Yeah, defense, I completely agree with you. Now, we flip sides of the ball. It's a different story. Been high on this kid since he arrived on campus as a wide receiver. I still think that's the future for him. I think, obviously, there's some credibility to those rumors. They were never shot down in press conferences concerning Trajan Bridges at the safety position, but the reality is his future, if if he hopes to play at the NFL level, it's not going to be on the defensive side of the ball. And I know that you can make that switch for guys who have some knack, some talent, and it works out. It just doesn't appear as though that's the case. And I don't know if it's nerves getting to him that magnified some of the issues that we would have experienced if we were there daily in practices. But here's a situation for me, Matt. When I'm looking at the, this defense and the weaknesses, I, I get what you're saying. But the flip side of that is Oklahoma was so good at stopping the run up the middle as well. I think it's an easy correction where if you're game planning to – Nothing comes up the middle, and we're not letting any anything get behind us. They they excelled at that. How many times? Ha, let's not ask how many times, but how long has it been since Oklahoma has consistently gotten three and outs? How long has it been since they have consistently forced an opponent into a three and one, and then found success in that moment? Because it happened twice that I can recall in this game against Texas Tech. Running the ball up the middle simply wasn't working. Like I said, I just think it's a schematics, what we're game planning for. And if a guy decides that he's going to bounce one outside, Oklahoma just wasn't prepared for that. But they do have the speed on the roster to recover from those types of things. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It could have just been schematics that 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 Grinch is saying we're gonna we're gonna be susceptible to this to take these other aspects away. And clearly the defensive plan worked. Which is also why I said if you force me to nitpick something about this defense, that's what I'm going to pick. That and Trajan Bridges. I want to again, kind of personal pause here. Uh, I know you're not a married guy, 
uh, and and I've got some advice for future married guys. Find you a woman who loves football. My wife just texted me. Now you you and I are at the uh, at the Vivid Seats Studios. By the way, Oklahoma um, is away from home for the next two weeks. But if you want tickets to the Red River rivalry, or if you want to go to Lawrence and you want to see the Sooners play the Jayhawks, Vivid Seats. That's your place to go. But you and I are away from away from my house, and my wife is at home watching that. I guess that North Carolina Clemson game because she just sent me a text and she's like, "That's Mac Brown for you." Yeah, I got I got nothing to add. That you guys obviously have this disdain for Mac Brown, regardless of where he is coaching at. But let's be honest, it's it's nice to see some of these familiar faces having some success in other conferences with other teams because it shows just how quality of a coach those were, which then bolsters this Oklahoma Sooners um, reputation, so to speak. Um, that That's really all I got for you. All right, defensive player of the game, who you got? Of course, I, I've got – You to, cannot take Kenneth Murray. I have to take You Kenneth. cannot take Kenneth Murray. I have to. He is not available to you. I have to. Um, here, Here's the real reason why is because every time I looked up – Kenneth Murray was was in the right position at the right time. Now, I know that there was some misdirection that Texas Tech was trying to use in order to get free, in order to get the entirety of the defensive line moving one way, but it seemed to never fool Kenneth Murray. He stayed home. He stayed put. He knew his assignment, but he also used his strengths, which I fully believe is his speed. Kenneth Murray was all over the field once again and was consistently making plays picking up some of the slack for some of these other guys who had that opportunity, but it slipped through their fingertips. Now, when we did our pregame, our, our preview podcast, do you remember who my defensive guy was to watch? No, but it was You just burped in the microphone, by the way. No, I didn't. Yeah, you need to say excuse me to all of our listeners. No, I'm not going to. Um, I, I don't recall who you had. Kenneth Murray. I, that, Kenneth Murray. Oh, was, I, no, I'm serious. Go back and listen. Go, by the way, where's my Gatorade? Speaking of going back and listening to the tape, where's my Gatorade? You got nothing. You got nothing. You definitely got no Gatorade. Kenneth Murray was my guy to watch uh, with his defense. Uh, Kenneth Murray with uh, nine total tackles today, leading the team, recorded Oklahoma's only sack uh, of the game. Uh, so uh, uh, DT, uh, D, D, whatever, DTY, I can't, Delarian Turner yell. I, I, oh, every time I try to do the acronym or the initials, I, I mess that up. But uh, seven tackles on the day. I, it was a good day for Oklahoma safeties, which why it's still – just boggles my mind a little bit that they're, they're pushing this Trajan Bridges thing as far as they are. Yeah, and I mean, Matt, the reality of this situation is we can beat this dead horse as long as we want to. It's just death. It's to have an available body if something were to happen. All right, I'm going to uh, put the money on the table right now because we know you don't pay up on your wagers because I still have no Gatorade. A year from now, a year from now, which side of the ball? is Trajan Bridges playing on? Like I said, I, I think his future is firmly on the offensive side of the ball. They didn't recruit him as part of this highly touted wide receiver group if they were just going to move his position on him. I believe Bridges, Weiss, Hazelwood, Stogner are the future at that the receiver position across the board. Of course, we talked about this last time as well. Then you throw Spencer Rattler in, came in with that class, and Marcus Majors as well coming in and really anchoring this offense for the foreseeable future. The only thing that we don't know for certain is who's going to be playing at, at the offensive line or along the offensive line when that group of six takes the field. 
All right, Oklahoma 55, Texas Tech 16. We got to talk about uh, the offensive side of the ball for the Sooners. That was a long pause for the timeout. My bad, guys. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 415 total yards through the air, three touchdowns, one interception. Also, for the first time this season, Jalen Hurts was not Oklahoma's leading rusher. Now, in, in rushing attempts, his nine were the most to Kennedy Brooks, who had eight, and then Trey Sermon was seven. My boy Ramon J. Stevenson still scored today. I, I, I was wrong. Two areas I was wrong about this game. I, I had Texas Tech having more success offensively than what they did. And then I said Ramondre Stevenson would not get in in enough time to actually make a tackle in this, um, to make a touchdown in this game, and 100% wrong on that. Um, let, let's start with Jalen Hurts. New new career high for a half, 308 yards passing in the first half. Uh, I liked what I saw from him as far as patience and poise. Something that we we we've, we've seen that progress throughout the season. It was at any sign of trouble against Houston, it was tuck and run. Um, we saw just because he could against South Dakota, just I'm just going to truck you. And then they go into UCLA, and you see just a little bit more patience out of him against UCLA. And then in this game, I mean, again, nine carries, which was a team high, but those were breakdowns. Some of them were designed runs. But I'm seeing a more patient, more poised Jalen Hurts, but also I'm seeing Jalen Hurts have the, that type of touch on the deep ball that it, I even question coming into the season, can he do that consistently? You know, the interception that he threw today, the pass was high, but it was also tipped because it was high. I think he blames himself for that because you know that right after the press game, uh, uh, post-game press conference, the guys in there working out, working out with uh, with strength coach and just trying to beat out some frustration, so to speak. But Jalen Hurts, 415 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception, 70 rushing yards for another score. Really nothing to be ashamed of from the quarterback play today. Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, is continuing to elevate the focus of this team as well as the expectations of themselves. Gone are the days, if you ever wanted to use the term entitlement when it came to some of these blue blood programs, gone are those days here in Norman, Oklahoma. And it's because of that mindset. It's because of that mentality. It's because he steps onto the field and steps off of it knowing there's still work to be done. Regardless of how big of a win, regardless of how successful Oklahoma was in putting points on the board, the work is never done. And it's one thing that I'm growing greatly to appreciate about Jalen Hurts. But I look at the progress, as you've mentioned, that he's made. Some of the questions that he came to Oklahoma with, I think he's fully beginning to answer those. But the picture, when you mentioned Jalen Hurts, the, pink, the picture that comes to mind for me is that consistency. Now we're seeing him develop that touch. We're seeing him develop a little bit of that patience. It's not an immediate, okay, the pocket's breaking down, or my number one and my number two targets are locked down in coverage. We're seeing him begin to work through those, and he's only moving out of the pocket when it seems as though it's absolutely necessary unless it was a designed quarterback run play. The one thing I did want to mention, you're just talking about the first half. I'm going to jump into the second half, is that we're actually seeing Jalen Hurts begin to take risks on this offense. It talks about where it confirms the trust that he has in these receivers. I want to go specifically to one play 
mentally that comes to mind for me, and it was C.D. Lamb. Now, C.D. Lamb, we know the best receiver on this roster, potentially the best receiver in the conference, and I know that this is a conference that has a na the name Tylen Wallace in it as well. But when I'm looking at C.D. Lamb, he's running a route. All of a sudden, there, there are three guys around him. What does he do? He has the know-how, the knowledge, and the willingness to just sit down in that zone and wait for the ball to be delivered. Jalen Hurts delivers the ball. It's on target. It's in time. It allows CeeDee Lamb to do that little patented move that he loves to do, that roll around, and gain a significant yardage. I don't remember if that's the one that went for the touchdown, but for Jalen Hurts to just drop back, recognize there's three defenders, and still deliver that ball on time, on target, is an exceptional job by Jalen Hurts in recognition of these defenses. So like I said, it's it's just confirming the progression that we've been expecting and have been hearing about. Well, and again, it's not just, you're right, it's not, but it's not just recognizing the defensive coverage. It's it's developing that trust in his receivers. You know, he had a, a good a throw to Austin Stogner early in the game that was really, really close to being a touchdown. Uh, and you kind of get to see the, the development of Austin Stogner with that as well. Where was Grant Calcaterra today, by the way? I mean, that's that's one story that that we're kind of wondering to ourselves. Um, you're coming off a of bye week. You're mostly healthy, but Grant Calcaterra is nowhere to be seen. Uh, instead, you got Austin Stogner in there. Um, I, I also wanted to say when there was a change in the offensive line due to an injury to Adrian Ely. Now, now Lincoln Riley said after the game that Adrian Ely is going to be kind of on a week-to-week -week basis. It's oh, We're getting the exact same, exact same report that we were getting earlier in the season on the left side of the offensive line. But you move Tyrese Robinson out to the outside. Bray Walker starts in the guard, the guard position, and I mean the tackle position, guard position. I, I'm losing my mind on offensive line positions. Bray Walker was a beast today. Did he draw his first ever start? in the Oklahoma uniform, I, I mean, there are things that he did that you're just going, man, how good is is the the number of guys that Bill Biedenboe has stacked up? Because this is a guy that I said preseason that if he can't kind of crack his way into this starting rotation this season with all these guys being so young, it's going to be hard for him to continue to do that throughout his career. But, man, he was definitely a man among boys, had a great, great um, game. And, and, again, the left side offensive line was a strength. That, To my recollection, there was one offensive line penalty that did come on the right side, but it wasn't on Bray Walker. Um, it was on Big Ty. But just uh, offensive line continuing to be dominant when you got one guy kind of playing out of position for where he's been all season long, and then you got another guy making his first start on there on the right-hand side against a Texas Tech defensive line that people said they would there there would be a challenge there that they would be up to the challenge. Super impressed by me on the offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line is one of those position groups that I'm never truly concerned about, and it's because of who the position coach is regardless of the name that's being plugged in and regardless of the slot that they're being plugged into, Bill Beanbow has done a phenomenal job. We've talked about this from the beginning, from the get-go, honestly, replacing what you lost, which was four NFL-caliber offensive linemen, replacing those this season and not seeing 
a huge, huge drop off, knowing that there was work to be done, knowing that progress had to be made, but again, not seeing a huge drop off. And I think give this group the entire year together and, and they'll be at, if not close to the same level that we saw this, this previous group who moved on to the NFL. When I'm looking, Matt, one thing I, I wanted to get back on with Jalen Hurts, because you mentioned the strength of this, I shouldn't say the strength, but a strong suit of this Texas Tech defense. I believe their strongest suit was the secondary. For a guy who a lot of people have questioned his throwing ability leading up to this season, for him to go in and basically pick apart a, a secondary, the caliber of the one that Texas Tech brought to town, it's, I don't want to say a night and day difference from what people said Jalen Hurts was to what he actually is. But again, we're seeing a guy, not only the leadership, not only the work ethic, but but we're seeing that come together in execution and that consistency. That, that's enough for me on Jalen Hurts. Um, if we're looking, I'm just going to switch switch positions on you here. Um, and the Grant Calcaterra thing, did he play today? No, that's what I'm saying. Where, where where was he? Did he step on the field at all? Because I thought at one point he was in there. Well, maybe he was and just wasn't ever targeted. I, I Right, well, he was quickly replaced, as you've mentioned, by Austin Stogner. And we also saw Jeremiah Hall assume a little bit of that same role. Um, Oklahoma's coming towards the end zone that I'm sitting in for, I believe it was the first score of the day, and I immediately saw that switch. Jeremiah Hall, they went with a big set there, if you will. They had Jeremiah Hall and, and Austin Stogner, and I asked the exact same question of the people sitting around me. Did Grant Calcaterra just run off the field, or have we not seen him yet? Because I, I was surprised to see the freshman before this experienced tight end that is Calcaterra. Yeah, that'd be something interesting to follow up on uh, leading, uh, after, after this game. Hey, uh, another development in the Big 12, just, just for us to talk about, because people who are listening to this podcast – most likely, we well, already know the outcome of this game, but Iowa State outscoring Baylor 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter to take a 21 to 20 lead over the Bears in Waco. Baylor moving right now um, inside um, inside the Iowa State 35, uh, but um, good game there in Waco. I, I I had Iowa State on that end of the uh, uh, on that on that end of our picks. I don't remember. Did you take Iowa State or Baylor there? I said that it would be a close game. Um, I I. Essentially said it was a coin flip. I believe such a political answer there. All right, uh, one thing did happen today on Oklahoma's offense that I haven't seen happen before. I don't think I've ever seen it happen ever, but it definitely happened today. You want to guess what that is? I have not a clue. I'll tell you right after this break. Listen to the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, something happened today on Oklahoma offensive side of the ball that I've never – I don't think I've ever seen happen. And you, I asked you before before the break if you knew what I was talking about. You had zero clue. So our, our man Charleston Rambo, first two catches of the game that he has today. Do you know what his yardage was? Um, did you want me to guess? Because yeah, I didn't give you the mic there. My bad. Yeah, you're you're good. I, I'm thinking if if I had to guess, it'd be somewhere in the 120 range. Yeah, 122 yards on two catches. Do you know how many yards he had after that? Zero? That is zero. Do you know why? I don't. Because Texas Tech rolled coverage to Charleston Rambo, leaving CeeDee Lamb wide open to just destroy this Red Raiders 
defense, seven catches, 185 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, we've talked about this, and we've talked about having to pick your poison when it comes to this receiving core. And, and the fact that Grant Calcaterra was a no-show today for whatever reason it was, to see CeeDee Lamb freed up to have this type of game just goes to show what we've been talking about, how Lincoln Riley just put, gives you so many options to cover that you can't cover them all. Texas Tech makes a decision after those first two catches. I mean, Charles Rambo averaged 61 yards a catch. So they Matt Wells and company makes a decision. Hey, we're going to bracket this guy instead, and let's see if we can man up on CeeDee Lamb, or let's see if we can do a Tampa 2 type thing. And CeeDee Lane, you're talking about the touchdown where he had three guys around him. How many times today, I can think at least twice, how many times today did you see guys just bounce off of CeeDee Lamb after he's got the catch? They just totally bounced off. Yeah, CeeDee Lamb, one of the things in the offseason that was very evident was how much muscle, how much strength that he had actually put on in his time with the Oklahoma Sooners. Because I, I do believe that this is his final season, especially if he receives a first-round grade like I expect him to when the NFL draft talks start rolling around. Needless to say, I've mentioned it once on this podcast. I'll say it again. Best receiver in the Big 12 Combined with his size and strength, he's a he's a difficult, difficult matchup one-on-one. -on -one. He's still a difficult matchup if you are going to bracket him, roll someone over the top, have whoever you want guarding him. CeeDee Lamb is, is one of these generational-type talents, and it seems like we're saying that about every <laughs> single skill position player who's at the top of the game when it comes to the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, one thing that we didn't, that I don't remember us talking about offensively, Trey Sermon, 10.9 yards per carry average today, two, two rushing touchdowns. The Sooners with four rushing touchdowns today, Jalen Hurts with one, Ramondre Stevenson with one, and then Trey Sermon with two, um, seven carries, 76 yards for Trey Sermon. I, you got to tell me, um, and we can make this where we can just take Jalen Hurts out of the equation, or we can both just say Jalen Hurts, offensive player of the game. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, offensive player of the game. All right, so final question. My final point on, on this game today is this. Have we seen the last of Callum Sutherland as Oklahoma's place kicker? I actually do believe that is the case at this point in time. And and the reason being is you see Gabe Burkich step into the game. He hits the first two field goals, something Sutherland failed to do. It's We talked about having this confidence, having this air about yourself, specifically when you're playing at the kicker position. Burkich seemed to have that on the field. I see no way. I thought, let me back up here. Um, because as I walked into the stadium, the conversation that was around me centered around Sutherland and whether we'd see him today or not. I said, you know, I don't know what the punishment is going to be. I do know the university, the program has said that they would handle it internally, which to me meant sitting out a quarter, maybe sitting out a half, or maybe even sitting out the whole game. But given the success of Burkich in this situation, stepping in, not having that same experience that Sutherland did or that Sutherland was afforded throughout the first three games of the season, stepping in in game number four and delivering two, two field goals yeah. and every single extra point goes a long way, in my opinion, in saying that the job is his to lose. I don't think we see a change when, when Oklahoma travels to Lawrence to play Kansas. I don't see it happening against Texas either because those moments when you set up for the field goal 
making sure that you walk off with three points, those types of moments could potentially decide a game down in the, the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, and I don't know if you're aware of this because you were actually in the stands, but uh, sideline reporter for Jenny uh, Taft, Jenny uh, Taft Riley for Fox, said that she quoted Lincoln Riley with his guys. That, you know, Burkich kicks that field goal to end the half, and Lincoln Riley's quote there was to his to the players, to the team was, "Did you see that moment? Did you see our kicker get it done?" You know, so I mean, I, I immediately thought back to that that Houston game where Sutherland didn't make his first kick. Burkish makes not only his first one, he makes his second one in a pressure-packed moment, which basically is backing up what you're saying about this whole situation. And then you consider the fact that Burkish, by the way, we got to figure out, uh, we got to continue to learn to say Burkish. I think we're saying it right. But, um, you know, he's a scholarship kicker where Sutherland's a walk-on. And, 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 you know, just it doesn't take rocket scientists to figure this situation out. Uh, there's nothing that happened today that transpired in the kicking game that would make you think that, okay, this guy doesn't deserve to be on the field in Lawrence as well because two for two on, on field goals, seven for seven on extra points, and he didn't get in trouble. You know, he didn't get arrested the, during the bye week. One other thing, overlooked stat on the day, on the day today, um, uh, Reeves Mandishu, the Oklahoma's punter, averaged whatever, uh, chow, uh, yeah, see, I, these guys were – just give me Austin Seibert back, okay? But 56.7 yards average on his kicks today. Three three punts, 170 total yards. Uh, that, that's something that really no one's talking about because one of the things that made Austin Seibert, going back to Tressway, one of the things that made Oklahoma's punters so valuable is their ability to flip the field. And when you're averaging 56.7 yards per punt, clearly that's what you're doing. Yeah, no one – quite doesn't like Tressway. I, I don't know what sort of voodoo he had going on when he played at the University of Oklahoma, but Tressway always, always, except maybe in very rare instances, always got the benefit of the bounce. That's not something that I think is is necessarily learned. You either get it or you don't. I don't know how it works, but here's what I'm saying. When I look at Tressway, I felt like we were extremely spoiled. Then in comes a guy like Austin Seibert, has that ability as well to fill multiple roles. Now here we are in in, an unfamiliar position, Burkich, Sutherland, Munchau, all competing for potentially different roles on this roster. Three kickers, three different kicking opportunities exist. If Burkich becomes that guy who not only does the field goals, as well as the place kicking, more power to Munchau for holding down his role as the punter. Because, like I said, too many times in the past, we've seen someone who's just incredibly talented roll through Norman and lock down all three of those spots on a roster. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. Oklahoma now turns their attention north for a trip to Lawrence, Kansas next week to face the uh, two and three Kansas Jayhawks, 0 and 2 in conference play. Kansas just torched by TCU in Fort Worth today. The Frogs with 625 total yards of offense against Les Miles and company. Um, again, I, I think I think they're playing better under Les Miles, but he has so much ground to make up on building his roster. We'll talk about this game throughout the week, really get heavy into it uh, beginning on Wednesday. Thursday we'll have our, our preview podcast. But any initial thoughts on um, – on Kansas State and T- uh, on Kansas and Oklahoma. 
Yeah, initially, here's what I thought Kansas would do more often, and that's run the ball. I, I think they're throwing 60, almost 70 to 30%, 70% being the throwing ratio that we're seeing come out of this offense. It's not something I expected, given the talent that they have in the backfield at Kansas. I just saw the stats over your shoulder here. Kansas, on their rushes, rushed 18 times, 4.2 yards per carry. Those are pretty good numbers. You do that three times, you've got a first down. Kansas converts one first down against TCU. Fourth down? Oh, they had one. Okay. okay. Converts one third down. Yes, I I knew that I was saying first down. My apologies. So they convert one third down. When I'm looking at Kansas, they've got to figure out what works for them, and they've got to lean on that heavily and consistently, in my opinion, in order just to be competitive. Instead of saying, this is the Big 12 we're used to the spread offenses here, so that's what we're going to run, regardless if we have the personnel to do it or not. Puka Williams in this game today, eight carries, just 12 yards. I, and I know he had the offseason uh, incident, and I, I know that was a tumultuous offseason for both him and Les Miles and this offense uh, with this team in general. But, I mean, was he the benefactor of a better than uh, than a better offensive line last season than people gave Kansas credit for? Or is this guy just mentally busted right now? I, I am not certain. Uh, I feel as though Hugo Williams burst onto the scene against Oklahoma, had 200 yards on the ground, and all of a sudden people thought pretty highly of him. But we have to recognize that the defense that was on the field attempting to stop him had stopped nobody all year long. And we expected them to give up numbers I mean, an exuberant amount of yards on the ground, regardless of who was who was in the backfield lined up against them. I think Puka Williams may have hit these lofty expectations, and when players start getting all of these accolades and people start raining down praise upon them, that work ethic kind of dries up. I'm not saying that happens with everyone, but in, in a majority of situations – that I've been around when the praise comes, the work ethic stops and other people just surpass you. That may be what's happening here. So to answer your question in short, that's a mental thing. TCU 61 rushing attempts for 319 yards, four touchdowns. I would expect it to be a big day for Oklahoma on the ground next Saturday in Lawrence, Kansas. We'll be at uh, heartland-sports.com all week long to talk about Oklahoma, Kansas Jayhawks. Also give you more recaps and thoughts on Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Final score again from Norman today. Sooners roll Texas Tech 55-19. to 55-16. Sorry, my computer just uh, freaked out while I was uh, getting ready to give you that score. Um, this has been the Sooner Nation Podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. If you follow us on iTunes, we'd love to hear from you as well on iTunes. Uh, give us a um, – uh, please give us a positive rating. Um, if you hate the podcast, you're probably not listening to it, so there's no need to rate us. But thanks again for listening uh, on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.